Chapter 2 Brick Smithson Professor couldn't reach Brick's ear, so instead she pinched him on the elbow, steering him in the direction she wanted him to go. And from the looks of it, they were going to the workshop. Her little fingers were merciless, inflicting pain and a frightening kind of paralysis in his arm, a part of his body that until now, Brick had simply assumed was impervious. He thought he caught a few muttered words from her as they navigated their way through the stables, but he couldn't be sure. Some of the horses turned their heads to watch the strange couple pass, flicking their ears with interest. Stepping out through the double doors of the stable, Brick slipped in a pile of horse manure with one foot, veering badly to the side. But his own quick sense of balance, Professor's painful grip, pulled him back upright. Professor's workshop was not accessible by any means a normal architect would devise. No, as in all things, Professor did it her own way. The front door was reachable only by skirting the stables and walking into the thoroughfare, across the street from the butcher's shop. Then, a swift right angle into an alleyway brought the pair face to face with a rather impressive brass-plated door. It had a small, dark window atop it, and a series of knobs at Professor's reach. She irritatedly smashed her hand against a few of them, and then the door opened widely on its hinges, its weight apparent by the low, grounding sound it made as it scraped across the dark wood floor. Usually a comforting place, with all its odd ticks and whirs, the workshop was suddenly rather ominous, mysterious, and strange. Brick took a deep breath and stepped inside, still being prodded like a steer by Professor. The room itself was not particularly wide, but it was very high. It might once have been a stable, but through years of renovations, very little of the walls or floor could be seen at all. On the far side was a hearth that was easily twice Professor's height, and a stone chimney rising to the roof. Beside that was a wood stove, and a long, low drafting table, upon which were strewn most of Professor's blueprints. To the right of the door were shelves, stacked all the way up to the ceiling, containing a wild assortment of what Professor called tinkerings. These were mechanisms, to use a proper term, many of which had no purpose other than to look intriguing, at least as far as Brick could tell. They whirred, spun, twisted, coiled, undulated, ticked, twitched, turned, oscillated, hovered, writhed, vibrated, jumped, shone, glittered, glimmered, and occasionally whispered, chirped, groaned, churned, cracked, buzzed, snapped, rung, twittered, or sighed. The collective cacophony always made Brick feel a little dizzy. Across the room, to the left of the hearth, were Professor's steamies. One of Professor's most predominant obsessions had to do with the harnessing of steam energy. She claimed to have done some impressive work for the Queen once, including a flying prototype, but exiled here in Vell, most of her contraptions were a much smaller scale. The various steam prototypes and working models needed a constant stream of vapor, and so Professor had combined a coal-burning stove with her cistern system. It was always hotter than hell in the workshop, on account of all the steam. 
But the boiler didn't just provide steam for Professor's more confounded gadgets and gizmos. No, it was also connected to the town's fire alarm, which could be triggered from a series of posts throughout Vell. One tug, and the ear-splitting whistle would blow, alerting everyone in town. It had saved lives more than once. At the center of the workshop were four tables of varying size, structure, and material. One was copper-topped, another wooden, yet another still appeared to be glass, and the last, made of wrought iron, Brick seriously doubted could be moved by human means. These tabletops were set with Professor's Experiments in Progress— Burners bubbled here and there, while on one table an immense timepiece telling the time in at least three different methods ticked in a somewhat sickly manner. Brick swallowed hard, fanning the air. The room held the acrid tang of one of Professor's experiments gone wrong, a situation that happened occasionally, even if she was loath to admit it, and the ceiling was thick with smoke. No doubt she'd been working on something when she noticed what was amiss at the stables. Her tea machine, a kind of self-warming keg made to steep and serve tea, whistled. "'Listen, Professor, I can explain.' <laughs> "'I bet you can, and I don't want to hear.' She shook her hand in the vague direction of the stables, the trembling in her taut, chubby fingers betraying her anger. "'Gods, Brickley, what are you thinking? Or more likely, what ain't you thinking?' This is one big bucket of horse piss you've spilled. Do you know that? Brick took a deep breath. He could still feel Cora's lips on his, soft and yielding. It had stirred something deep inside him, and simultaneously left him feeling rather wound up. You ain't even listening to me, Professor said, pressing on her eyes under her thick specks. "'Gods, I should have put a stop to it sooner. "'I saw it coming. "'I saw it and I pretended it was nothing. "'It's not like you think. "'It ain't like we've done anything like that before. "'Of course you haven't, because we all made sure it didn't. "'But damn it, I got caught up in something "'before I realized I sent you out there "'during her stable hours.' "'She seemed to be calming down and stopped pacing. "'Brick sat down on one of the stools in the workshop.' Professor, as a rule, didn't seem to ever have comfortable chairs. I'll leave you alone with her for one minute, Professor said, pulling herself up onto her stool. In spite of the fact that she could have used a much smaller chair, she refused to customize one for herself. Um, sorry, Brick said, hoping that might quell her. No, you ain't. You'd be stupid if you were starry, she said a glint of merriment surfacing above the anger. She shied, shaking her head at him. But you're lucky, it! Lucky as all the stars in the skies that it was me who saw you. You reckon? Do you know what they do to underclass boys, Brick, if they find them with alderclass girls? Of course I do, Brick said. Of course! But it ain't like I had much of a choice. She just grabbed me. She kissed me before I knew what was happening. It sounded lame, and he knew it. In all truth, his resistance had faded before it even started. Gods, kissing her had felt good. Give a girl a gun, and the next thing you know, she's throwing herself all over every last boy, muttered Professor. It was just me, Brick said, coming to Cora's defense. And she and me have been friends a long time. 
We can't help it if things change sometimes. Professor seemed to consider this a moment. She took off her specs and began polishing them with the edge of her shirt, inhaling and exhaling slowly. She was still mad, Brick knew, but she was trying to keep herself in check, trying to keep her temper down. There was something about the women in Vell, Brick reflected, and tempers. She replaced her specs and blinked at Brick. You can't stay here in Vell now. I'm sorry, Brick, but it just ain't safe. I tried to talk your father out of sending you away earlier, but now I'm thinking it over. I think he was right. You have other options and you should take them. Other options? Brick asked, not entirely sure what Professor was up to. The Order of the Oak will be in town this evening for the Blossom Day dance, Professor said, lacing the name of the event with as much distaste as she could. Your father wants to apprentice you to them as a gunsmith. What? Brick said. As a gunsmith? Brick's grandfather had been a gunsmith, but Jack had taken the profession of a blacksmith as it was significantly more lucrative in a backwards town like Vell. But Brick had always thought his father had just taken the easy way out. There was a lot less to it. Professor pursed her lips together, looking critically at Brick. You're a little young for it, it's true. But your grandfather taught you well enough, and I've kept you busy making all sorts of bits and pieces. She gestured vaguely to the room around her. It was true. Brick had helped her make at least two dozen of her contraptions. He'd forged the pipes for the cisterns in the city, and had helped her figure out some of her more harebrained projects, including some of her more complicated and spectacular failures. But you have a remarkable eye. I suppose I resisted your father's suggestions on account of how much I need your skills. I'm afraid my work will have to take a back seat for a while until I can train someone else to do the work. Your father's got no interest in it, after all. She smiled a little at him. And, of course, if they're happy with you, they'll likely make you a full night. She took a deep breath while Brick let her words sink in. He wasn't sure what to make of the news, and rather had the feeling that he'd just gotten to the end of a very long road, only to find there was a cliff at his feet. The thing about you, Brick, is I have never yet been able to stump you. I've tried, of course, given you plans with hardly more than scribbles, tossed you ore you'd never worked with before, but uh, you've got a gift, and you'll be much safer as a knight in the protection of the whole realm than you ever would be here. Your talent's wasted on me, truly. I knew the time would come. But, Professor, how can I be a knight? He asked finally. The words felt heavy in his mouth. He could feel his heart thumping in his throat. Not all the orders are as presumptuous and bigoted as the rose and alder. No, the oak and the asp and the heart all welcome men of all classes so long as they can prove their worth. And you will. I'm sure of it. I've never seen such a talented smith in all my life. And that's no exaggeration. He felt his face redden with the flush of acknowledgement. And I'll leave? Tonight? Then? Professor paused a moment, chewing on her bottom lip. I'm afraid so. It's likely the only chance you'll get to leave Vale, and aside from that gimbal lad and Cora, you don't have much holding here, do you? And we all know Cora's bound to be set from out from here soon. Once her father's returned from Mood, I'll expect he'll have a list of suitors long as my arm ready for her. She'll go to the Academy, of course, but then she'll be married off. Gods, Brick suddenly hated the idea of Cora being married off. 
Previously, her marriage had just been some remote and unreal event, talked about as children, off there in the future somewhere. Time passed so slow when you were young. But now her marriage loomed, and its reality carried a sharp and painful edge. At least laws had been passed to raise the legal age of marriage. In Cora's Mother's Day, girls were married off at the age of 13 with consent from a parent. But girls bearing children before their own bodies were ready had too often ended in tragedy, and the laws had been changed. While girls still could be married very young in a strictly legal sense by arrangement between families, the Crown now offered incentives, such as admission to the prestigious Academy of Queensland for a year and the ability to travel abroad to the Isles, if the men involved curbed their impulses and waited to start the process of making new families until the girls had passed their sixteenth year. Still, the thought of another man putting his hands on her made him feel dizzy with jealousy. "'You all right, Brick?' asked Professor. She was pulling on one of her sets of goggles, the ones with the green glasses, and blinked at him like a small, perplexed bird. "'Yeah, just a little out of sorts,' he said. She laughed, a gurgling noise deep in her throat. "'Professor?' "'Hm?' Professor adjusted her goggles and then pulled one of her tinkerings to her. From where Brick stood, he could only see a garble of springs and cogs, but he knew with the professor's attention it would be something beautiful in the end. A bird? A bear? She loved making mechanical toys for the children in town and had, as of late, been spending most of her time doing just that. "'Well, seeing as I'm to leave tonight,' he said, the words causing his stomach to sink as he said them. I was wondering, since there'll be so much going on with the dance and all, if, well, if you might find a way I could speak to Cora, alone, just uh, for, for a few minutes. Brickley, that's highly risky. There'll be gnats everywhere, you know. They'll likely be drooling all over Denna, though. I doubt anyone will miss Cora for just a few minutes. Professor took a deep breath, her small shoulders rising and falling. Well, I'll do what I can, if I can. "'but no promises.' "'Thanks, Professor,' Brick said, "'sliding down from the stool. "'His legs still felt a little wobbly "'from the experience in the stables, "'but he reckoned he could make it home all right. "'He'd need to get his things together, "'not that he had that many of them. "'There's something else, too,' Professor said. "'She was staring out one of the windows, "'which, of course, was sealed shut. "'By looking at her, though, "'Brick could swear he saw something.' I told you I worked for the Queen. Yeah, Brick said. Professor had worked for the Queen for almost thirty years as chief engineer before retiring to Vell. He couldn't rightly say how old she was, but he guessed at least fifty, which by steratory standards was practically ancient. Professor didn't say anything for a time, and Brick could tell she was deciding what she would tell him. He watched her, perched on her stool, her small hands palmed down on her knees, the mechanism on the table forgotten for a time. She had a thoughtful, distant way about her sometimes that changed her face altogether. She looked innocent, young almost. Her eyes glinted under her green goggles like dark emeralds. God's thought brick. I'll miss her. The queen has a strange mind, she said at last, in no small part due to me. She has her hands on some extremely dangerous technology. Suffice it to say, though, you ain't going to be just up against guns, if you reckon what I mean. 
You've seen the things I've done here in Vell. The things that can be done with metal and gears. The projects I've put together for the town. Cisterns, plumbing, hot water, cold water, the like. Those things are for good. But you've seen how a few modifications to simple guns using the right components can make one hell of a difference. Sure, Brick said. She winced. The oak is not my favorite order, let's say. I was hoping you'd have a chance elsewhere, but things being as they are, I do agree rightly with your father. You should go. But keep an eye out, will you? There's no order as obsessed with machines as they are, not in a good way at all. Using technology to kill, well, it's a burden no man should have to bear. She cleared her throat, coughing into her hand. Just, if ever you feel you're on the wrong side of the gunstock, promise me you'll think twice. All right, Professor, said Brick. I'll try. Thanks for everything, Professor. I mean it. If it weren't for you, I doubt the oak would have anything to do with me at all. Brick, do be careful, Professor said as he turned to leave. Always, he said with a playful wink. He thought he might have seen tears in her eyes as she turned away, back to work. Brick found his father hard at work in the smithy, refitting part of one of the gimbal's wagon wheels. It was a common smith's job, what he was doing, refitting the iron strap that wound round the wheel itself, and he did it with the steady rhythm of a man accustomed to his work. The blacksmith had his shirt bunched up around his immense forearms, and his ruddy face was slick with sweat. As always, it was hotter than hell's in the forge. Jack looked up as his son walked in and halted the banging. He drew his hand across his brow, squinting as sweat dropped into his eyes. "'When were you going to tell me?' Brick asked. At first he'd been elated about his recommendation to the Oaks Guard. But now he felt betrayed. If he hadn't made a mess of things with Cora, his father would never have mentioned it at all. "'Come again, son?' Jack asked. The Order of the Oak, Brick said, trying to be as casual-sounding as he could. They want to recruit me, tonight, and you didn't say anything. Jack paused, raising one of his dark brows at his son. Well, according to Professor, it didn't seem like such a good idea, he said, speaking slowly. And I take her opinion right serious, you know. She's changed her mind, Brick said. He stared at his father, noticing the lines of wear in his face, the darkness under his eyes. He had soot all over one side of his face and down into his beard and looked tired. It was getting late. Most of the townsfolk were already getting ready for the dance, but Jack the Smith and his son would have no part in it. It was just business as usual. Did she? Jack said. He sounded surprised, but not shocked. He put down his hammer and walked over to the basin, splashing his face with water. Well, that's interesting. You're just going to let me stay here? Brick asked. He could feel his anger welling up in him, like blood from a wound. How could his father allow him to stay here, to rot away in Vell when knights were calling after him? You're just going to keep me here for yourself? Not myself entirely. For Professor, too, Jack said. You must have done something real stupid to get on her bad side to send you away. But yes, I suppose I would have said nothing. As it stands, though, well, 
I guess you best be getting your things together, huh? They want me to be a gunsmith, Brick said, and a knight. Yeah, I know, Jack said, his voice low and a bit husky, Brick thought. You best be getting your things together. Jack took up his hammer and turned back to the forge and his work. Staring after him for a few moments, Brick turned to go back to the cottage. Adjacent to the forge, it was sparse, to say the least, the living quarters of two men who'd no particular desire for decoration. It served its purpose, though. Two cots lay on either side of the room, and in the middle a hearth for cooking. Empty bowls in need of cleaning were strewn about, and the scent of sawdust and flux pervaded everything. Brick didn't have much property of his own— he had the clothes he wore, one other set of breeches, a hooded overshirt for cold weather, and a burlap rucksack containing a few small tools and other necessities. He'd take his forge hammer, which was still on his belt, and his grandfather's pistol. It was still under his cot, wrapped in oiled cotton. He retrieved it and smoothed his fingers over the silver gilding and the long horn handle. His grandfather had made it with his own hands one of two identical pistols. It wasn't particularly good at distance shooting, but it would do the job at close range if he needed it. Brick had a mother, he knew, but he just didn't know who she was. Jack never spoke of her. But he knew he favored his unknown mother's looks. Though he was dark and powerful like his father, he wasn't nearly as broad and much more light and agile on his feet. He had nothing else from her to take with him except the memory of this place where, like so many items born of metal and fire, he had been made. All his life he'd conjured images of his mother in his mind, a regal woman tall and fair with clear green eyes. Sometimes she was a school instructor, other days a lady-in-waiting for the queen. She was ephemeral, distant, and ever-changing, like the rush of clouds in the sky before a storm in Vell. But now, as he stood contemplating his departure from the only home he'd ever known, all he saw in his mind's eye was the face of Cora Gray. As a rule, Brick Smithson hated dancing. He thought it was an excuse for women to make men look stupid— but tonight, dancing would be the first thing on everyone's mind, right along with the gray girls. Some of the older women in town, a dozen or so married or widowed, had dolled themselves up as best they could, starching their dresses and curling their hair. Even from his vantage point by the great alder, he could smell the combined power of their perfumes on the light breeze. He sneezed. Brick leaned against the alder, cast mostly in shadow. The lights of the Blooming Day dance were a buttery yellow color, and he could see the scaffolding for the dance floor, too. Bonnets and top hats appeared and disappeared as his dancers and revelers came in and out of view. As of yet, the Order of the Oak had not arrived. He imagined knights had their own schedules to attend to, and arriving on time at a foolish territory's dance was probably not their highest priority. To his knowledge, he'd never properly met a knight— in between bouts of anxiousness over Cora, he tried to imagine what they would look like. Cora would know, of course. Maybe if Professor managed to get her away for just a few minutes, he could ask. 
To his right, he suddenly noticed a figure up against the side of the nearest building. There was a sudden swirl of skirts, and in the dim light he could just make out the face of Cora Gray. He wondered dumbly if she had any idea how beautiful she was. Even though she'd taken to wearing specks all the time, it still did not diminish what he thought was the most lovely pair of hazel eyes he'd ever seen. Sure, in the dark he couldn't see their color, but he knew them as he knew his own. Hey, he said, rubbing the back of his head nervously, a habit he'd had since childhood. Cora was quiet, her lips drawn tight in a frown. The moons were out tonight, of course, being blooming day, one full and the other half. It was about as bright as nighttime would get for the next few months until the moons crossed each other's paths again, and for that, Brick was very glad. Having fun? No. Gods, he hated when she was like this. Well, I hope you'd let me talk to you just for a few minutes before you went back, he tried, approaching her slowly. Is, a uh, is Professor about? Jem's keeping an eye out for me, Cora said, turning over her shoulder. Right, <clears throat> I see, he replied. His throat had gone rather dry, and he was acutely aware of the amount of skin Cora was showing. The dress made her look a bit ridiculous, he had to admit, what with all the bows and lace. He never understood the whole matter of women in corsets and bustles. He always thought Cora was prettiest when she did nothing special at all. "'What did you want?' she asked, her voice sharp and impatient. Brick felt his chest tighten with longing. He wanted that kiss again. He wanted more of her, so much more of her. It frightened and exhilarated him at the thought of it. Clenching his hands into fists, he retreated a little. So he was leaning against the bark of the alder tree. "'You used to tell me stories,' he said, touching the alder with the flat of his hand. "'About knights and kings and queens. "'You told me how, when the territories were first founded, "'each town got its own alder tree, that it was part of a tradition, "'because the alder tree was sacred to the first settlers here, right?' "'Yes,' Cora said. "'She hadn't approached him, but he could see that she was trembling slightly, "'the curls on her head vibrating.' Cora, Brick said, expelling a long breath. I'm fixing to leave tomorrow. What? Cora said, her eyes shooting wide open. The facade melted and she stared at him, unable to comprehend his words. Leaving? What? Where? Why are you leaving? What's happened? He seriously doubted she needed the answer to that question. But Cora always had an ability to shoot off multiple questions in quick succession— so much so that Brick was always left a little addled, and some distance behind in the conversation. Uh, well, for the first question, um, I'm leaving Vale. I'm going away with the Order of the Oak. They've asked to apprentice me, he said, trying to sound as proud as he felt he should be. But in spite of his attempt, his stomach felt as if he'd run into an anvil. The Order of the Oak! Cora yelled, and Brick had to hold out his hands to hush her. She shot him a venomous look through her spectacles and slapped his hands back. "'You can't go with the oak. You you aren't like that. The oak, the oak's not the right order for you at all.' 
How do you reckon? Brick said. Leave it to Cora to find the downside of being accepted into knighthood from the underclass. They're brutes, Brick. They're known for their ruthlessness. You said they were messenger knights, he said, trying to remember her lessons correctly. Oh, they're the Queen's messengers, all right. And while that sounds harmless on the surface, Brick, historically, they're known for being simply bloodthirsty. They do the Queen's bidding at any cost, and not in a romantic way at all. The Queen's always pardoned them in the end and tried to set things straight, but... Oh, Brick, didn't Professor tell you what they do with their weapons? What they'd done? Brick watched her, afraid to reach out and touch her, as she buried her head in her hands. She was wearing gloves, white satin, buttoned up to the elbow. One was already muddied as if she'd fallen and caught herself. She never was much for frills and the like. Damn it, Cora. Can't you even be proud of me for one damn second? Brick said, truly affronted by her attitude. No, I'm not proud that you're going with the Order of the Oak, because I think you're better than that. Does Professor know about this? Yeah, she gave me the okay. She had a hard time letting go, though, he muttered, unwilling to give away too many of the details. Professor had certainly felt that his talents could have been better used elsewhere, not to mention her initial refusal to grant him permission at all. Cora's glasses reflected in the moons behind him and the intertwining branches of the alder tree. She looked at him with confusion and hurt, her brows down over her specks. "'I knew it would happen some day,' she said. She pulled off her gloves and thrust them away in her purse, snapping the lid swiftly. "'I just thought—I thought we had more time. But we grew up so fast, Brick.' "'You have to know, Cora. If, if I could have made it work,' Brick said, feeling his stomach twist again. His throat tightened and his chest constricted. It was sorrow like he'd never known before. This is what it feels like, he thought. Letting Cora go was like having his own breathing center taken from him. He wasn't sure if he could manage. Just don't forget me, Cora said, removing her glasses. She pressed her long fingers to her eyes, as if that would somehow staunch the flow of tears. I couldn't. Brick said. He wanted to grab her, to steal a horse, and ride away into the moonlight like a gallant knight. But those were just stories, he reminded himself. Stories written by people who clearly had no idea how life in the territories had to be lived. She stared at him then, her eyes glittering in the moonlight, each lash bejeweled with tears. She approached and kissed him softly on the cheek. He'll be a knight she said, and I'll be... Her voice trailed off as the sound of horse's hoof caught her attention. In the distance to the east, the Order of the Oak approached. There was a low rumbling, wagon wheels and hooves, and the whir of something mechanical above everything else. On the horizon, their collective darkness grew. He could see their banners held high, the men's shapes beneath them. When Brick turned around again, Cora had gone. He could see her running back to town, Jem not far behind her mistress. "'You'll be gone,' he said, finishing her sentence, as he stared off at his destiny, marching casually and inexorably to meet him.'"